0: Pray with me, please. Uh, Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you've called us to this place today. Uh, As we open your word and as we look at what Jesus said to the disciples, pray that you would move in our lives, that your spirit would work in our minds and in our hearts uh, so that we might desire to uh, join you uh, in your mission. Uh, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Probably above my head right now is a statement that says uh, the church in decline or the decline of the church. If you read any survey, if you read any poll by Gallup, uh, by LifeWay Research, uh, if you subscribe to Christianity Today, which is a really cool magazine, um, and you look at any of their uh, articles uh, on the state of the church in America right now, secular and Christians agree that the church is in decline uh, in the United States of America today. you, probably without looking at any polls, can see that the church in America is in decline today. Uh, but to, to make sure that you realize this, I'm going to give you some statistics that I have seen. I like statistics. I think every time that I preach, some statistic gets in there. But people who, were, uh, who grew up in the church uh, from childhood through high school, 70% of those people, when they turn 18, between 18 and 22, uh, leave the church. And of those 70%, only 30% of them come back, uh, which is not a good recoup rate at all. So at 18 to 22, 70% uh, leave the church. Uh, And I said this in the first service, and I'll say it again. um, As a youth pastor, feel responsible uh, in part for that number. Uh, but 70% leave the church. Uh, and when asked why they left the church, uh, there were four responses that came uh, far and above uh, any other responses. The first one uh, was by far the most frequent response, I just wanted a break from church. Uh, just wasn't doing it for me anymore. I just wanted to take some time off. I've been going to church, been forced to go to church for 18 years. I just need a break. Others said that the school, uh, college, uh, and work responsibilities were too much, and they had to prioritize it over church uh, so that they could succeed. Uh, Others said that when they went to college, they didn't find a church that fit them, uh, and they shopped for churches, and there was nothing really that reminded them of home, I guess, Uh, and so they stopped coming. And others said they, they just really didn't want to. Uh, they were too busy. There are other things that they'd rather do. They didn't want to come to church. That's 70%. So 30 stayed. And of those 30%, uh, by and away, the majority of them said that the reason that they stayed in church was because they thought that church helped them become a better person. Uh, they thought that they were learning values in church that would help them become a better person. And so by the boatloads, young adults are leaving the church, and most of them are not coming back. Uh, The church is in decline in America. Maybe more disheartening to me than the reasons that people were giving for leaving the church uh, were reasons that people were giving for staying in the church. Uh, not just young people, but they asked uh, a whole bunch of people, all ages, why do you go to church? Why do you stay in church? Why are you part of a church? Uh, and most of them said for some form of spiritual growth or guidance, uh, some direction in life. Others said that it keeps me grounded in who I am as a person, uh, that I feel inspired after I go to church. And others said that it's my, it's my tradition, it's my faith. And when they say faith, of course, they're meaning, tradition, Uh, It's what I grew up as. My parents are Christians, uh, and usually they can even be more specific. My parents were Presbyterians. Their parents were Presbyterians. I'm a Presbyterian, or Baptist, or insert denomination. And Lifeway as a Christian organization, asked a question that Gallup didn't because Gallup and Lifeway asked pretty much the same questions and got the same results. But Lifeway added one question. Is one of the reasons that you stay in church because you feel connected to and on board with the mission of the church? Are you in line with the mission of the church? Do you go to advance the mission of the church? And of those who were asked, only 15% of them said that is why they go to church. They go to church because they agree with and are on board with the mission of the church. That's a problem. What else is a problem is that of those people who stay in church, Protestant churches, we're not talking any church you want to go, you know, we're not talking Unitarian Universalists, Protestant churches, only 58%, it's a majority, but it's 58%, said that salvation is through grace alone and that we can do nothing to earn salvation. Only 58% said that Jesus is the central figure in your salvation, in my salvation. That Jesus is at the heart of why I go to church. 58%. And then it went on and there were some statistics about what unbelievers think about the church. And I mean, I don't have to tell you that. They love Jesus, but they hate the church. We're hypocrites. Uh, we're self-righteous. That's what they think. You, you, you know what the unbelievers think. But... That's not the issue. I came to the realization, the understanding as I'm looking at these statistics, uh, that the church is not in decline in our country because of the world's view of Christians. It's in decline because of Christians' view of the church. Why do I go to church? What is the church? What is the purpose of the church? Is it just the necessary Sunday activity that I have to do to keep in line with what Jesus calls me to do as a, as a Christian? Is it, how, you know, is it that thing that I have to do to get to heaven, that last hurdle I've got to jump? You know, What is the church? It's a question that we need to ask ourselves as a community, as a grace community. What is the church? And fortunately, we're looking at Peter uh, for... The remainder of the semester, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter. And Jesus talks to Peter about the church. Uh, He talks to Peter about what the church is. Uh, He talks to all the disciples, really, about what the church is. And he does it in Matthew chapter 16. So go ahead and turn with me. This is the text that we're going to be using. To Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 13 uh, through 20. And if you would, uh, as you are turning, or if you are just going to... Read up here. Go ahead and stand with me as we read uh, God's Word. Uh, and Starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word that you have given us, for your word. Uh, Thank you that we can explore it. May your spirit come and teach us from what Jesus taught the disciples so many years ago. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and. Uh, We are trying to figure out this question what is the church? But in order to answer the question, what is the church? uh, we have to answer a more important question. Uh, We see it in the text. That question is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is he to you? That's the question that Jesus asked the disciples. First he says to them, who do they think I am? Who does the world think I am? And you know what? The answer that they give is remarkably similar to the answer that most people today give. Most religions even give. Who is Jesus? They say, oh, well, he's John the Baptist maybe or Elijah or Jeremiah. He's at least a prophet. Uh, and most people will say that. Jesus was a really good man. If you look at Islam, if you look at Buddhism, if you look at any world religion, most of them will say Jesus was at least he was a very good prophet. Uh, he was probably a very good prophet. And that is what they say, the people are saying about Jesus. Uh, and so so the conditions of the world in viewing Jesus are actually remarkably similar. Uh, but the problem is that Jesus is not just a good prophet. If Jesus is just a good prophet, if Jesus was just a good guy who had some really good things to say and loved people, there's no hope. We have no hope for anything if Jesus was just another good prophet like Elijah or Jeremiah or John the Baptist. Jesus cannot be just a good prophet. And so he says, all right, that's what the world says about me. You, my disciples, what do you say about me? Uh, And in very Simon Peter form, Simon Peter is the first one to speak. And he says, you are the Christ, or Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Simon Peter rightly identifies Jesus in this passage, speaking, I think, on behalf of the disciples, and hopefully we join in in agreement with Simon Peter. I hope, uh, because I'm not teaching on it, I hope that we all at least acknowledge that Jesus Christ is, or that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to Simon, You're right. More than that, you're blessed. Because man hasn't revealed this to you. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. But God has revealed this to you. My Holy Spirit has revealed to you who I am. And then he says something astonishing. Because, in chapter 16, for 15 or so chapters, Jesus has been talking about one thing. In fact, Throughout the whole entire Old Testament, up until this point, the Bible has had one consistent theme. And that theme has not been the church. It has been the kingdom of God. Jesus has been preaching the kingdom of God. Uh, as Jesus is coming in, we see the proclamation, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and these are these are rules, these are the realities of how the kingdom of God operates. Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit uh, the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek. Later on, he says, turn the other cheek. These are all ideals of the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus prays, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then after that, he starts teaching in parables. Parables about the kingdom of God. What he doesn't say is, the church... Is likened unto, he says, the kingdom of God is like a field with grain in it, tares and wheat. These parables, these pictures that he's painting, he's painting of the kingdom of God. We know that the Old Testament is talking about the kingdom of God because the number one way that God is referred to in the kingdom of God is, or in the Old Testament is what? Lord, King, King of the kingdom. Israel was a kingdom. In the garden, we see kingdom imagery. Be fruitful and multiply. That's dynasty. Rule over the earth. It's domain. This is kingdom imagery. And now Jesus here says, Blessed are you, Peter, because you have figured out that through the Spirit that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. So what we see is that Jesus is building His church on Peter's confession. Jesus is building his church on Peter's confession that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What is Jesus not building his church on? Well, first of all, we need to address it, just because it's a textual issue. Jesus is not building his church on Peter. It's hard to see that because we don't have the Greek um, and I typically don't go to the Greek that much just because the English translation is, is it's really excellent. But here what we'd see is that Peter's name is uh, Petra. And Jesus says, you are Petra. And on this Petros, I'm building my church. It's wordplay. You're rocky on this rock. I'm building my church. And this church is built on... This rock that the church is built on is the proclamation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And we know this also because Peter says it. Peter could have said, remember when Jesus said to me, I'm building my church on you? Please, guys, listen to what I'm saying about Jesus. Uh, but we're going to read 1 Peter, and so you maybe can turn. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, there are a couple verses in 1 Peter where he talks about the foundation uh, that the house of God is laid upon. Uh, and it's 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 6, and also in verse 7. He says, For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Simon Peter would never say that those who trust in him should not doubt, will not be put to shame. He's talking about Jesus. The church is built on Jesus not Peter. Uh, And we are all good Protestant Westerners, uh, so we know this. Uh, I don't think there are any papists in here. We understand that the church is not built on Peter, uh, but on Jesus. But the church is also not built on some other things. Uh, The church is not built on social justice and mercy. These are good things. But the church is not built on them. Uh, this, this is uh, an error I, I see a lot in, uh, in emerging and liberal churches and theology. The, it seems as though the belief is that if we can end world hunger, uh, if we can all drive hybrids, and if everybody will wear a man purse, uh, that <laughs> the whole world will unite in holding hands and Rob Bell will lead us in kumbaya. And all of these things are good things, except for kumbaya. But all of these things are good things. I own a man purse, and I love it. It's really comfortable. It's gray, and I bought it from Target. But if you solve world hunger and world debt and AIDS in Africa, put a ceasing to all wars, and... Jesus the son of the living God is not proclaimed as Messiah you have failed. And that needs to be recognized. And everybody in here says amen because we're not well because we're not liberals I guess. But the church is also not built on orthodox theology and morality. And this is an issue that our church, I'm reformed, believe me, we have this problem. Uh, we think that if everybody will believe in the inerrancy of scripture, if somehow we can put an end to world homosexuality, uh, and, and if we can just get everybody to only watch reruns of Touched by an Angel, that, that the world will be good. And the reality is that we can get rid of all of the appearances of sin. We can make people succumb and and, uh, live uh, according to our moral standards. Uh, But if they do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then we have failed. We have done a great disservice, perhaps even a greater disservice than the liberals. Because at least people don't have... Never mind... (laughs) Because it's about Jesus. The church is also not built on visionary pastors and compelling speakers and cool programs. And this is where my, my folk, youth pastors, are, are really culpable. This is why people at 18 leave the church. Because youth programs and children's ministries have given these programs after programs after programs. We've built our ministry on programs, and then they become 18 and there's no program for them. And you sit in church, thank you college students for coming, you sit in church and you have to listen to the message and after two weeks there are no like gorillas on skateboards being erupted out of volcanoes and they leave. You know? The church is not built on programs, it's built on Jesus. And finally, and maybe most disruptive for me, the church is not built on the nuclear family. It's a problem that a lot of us run into. Because we genuinely believe that the church is here to serve our family. When in reality, our family exists to serve the church. That's why we keep asking you to participate in worms. To volunteer and worm. That's why we tell you be in a home group. I know that it's another hour to, if you come to our home fellowship or our home group, another three hours or so because we eat and everything. The food's good. You should come. And you say that time is time that I should be spending with my family, uh, and I've gotten my family's gotten from the church what we need, but you've got it backwards. The church doesn't. Uh, the, the church doesn't exist to serve your family. Your family serves to or exists to serve the church. Because the church is not built on the nuclear family. It's built on the proclamation, on the reality that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What else is the church? The church is the vehicle by which Jesus' kingdom is advanced. Jesus says to Simon, after he says, blessed are you for realizing this, he says, on this rock, I build my church. I am building my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And a lot of us see that, and what we think is backwards. We look at the world around us. We say the church is in decline. The enemy is getting us. Immorality is spreading like rampant. The enemy is getting us, uh, or sp- spreading like rampant. Spreading like wildfire. We'll say, uh, you know, we we look at the world around us, and and we think we're being defeated, and so we we shrink back. We huddle up, and. And we say, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. And what we think is that what Jesus is saying here is that the church will be able to withstand the advances of the gates of hell. But gates are not offensive weapons. Uh, They're not swords. Uh, You don't swing a gate at somebody in battle. Uh, You stand behind it and pray that your enemy doesn't get through it. Uh, you send your most valiant warriors in front of it to defend the gate. It is a defensive tool. What the Bible is saying is not that the church will be able to withstand the advances of the gate, of the enemies uh, of the uh, kingdom of, of hell, of, of, of Hades. It's saying that Hades will not be able to withstand the advances of the church. We are on the offensive. We will... Win, And if you don't believe this, you're not going to give your time, you're not going to give your money, you're not going to give your lives to this cause. If you really believe that we just shrink back until we disappear, then you're going to check out. We are going to win. We sang a song about it. Death will be no more. Hunger, gone. Pain, suffering, gone. Immorality, gone. We win. Why are you so scared? Jesus tells us. And how is the church advanced? It's advanced through social justice and mercy. Uh, It's advanced through orthodox teaching and morality. It's advanced through strong nuclear families. It's advanced through visions of reaching our communities and our world. For Jesus Christ. It's not built on those things, but that's how it's advanced. And finally, furthermore, as if that wasn't enough, Jesus says that the church isn't even just the vehicle by which the kingdom is advanced. It holds the keys to the kingdom. What does that mean? A lot of people think a lot of different things. Uh, But we don't have to look far to see how that works. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, "I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." You is is a collective singular, so the church, not just a singular Peter. So um again, this is the second I'm sorry Catholics, uh Peter does not hold the keys to the kingdom. The church does. But this phrase, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on her- earth shall be loosed in heaven, Jesus uses again uh, in just a couple chapters, chapter 18. Uh, And I'll have it up here. I'm going to read 15 through 20, but only a couple of verses are up there because I want you to get the full context of how Jesus is using this. He says, If your brother sins against you, go, tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. All right, this is talking about church discipline. One of the key roles of the church, discipline. Why? Because it protects the purity of the church. It allows the vehicle by which the kingdom is advanced to run properly without hindrance. This is talking about discipline. And what he's saying is after the church is, has heard and has, uh, has uh, told this person to repent of their sin, to stop living in sin, if they still don't do it, let them be as an outsider. Put them out as though they were a Gentile. Now to a Jew being a Gentile, being made as a Gentile is a big deal. To be put outside the church is a big deal. And Jesus is talking about discipline here. And then after that, he says, right after that, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he says, again, I say to you, if two agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, and followed by the most misquoted verse probably in the history of the Bible, uh, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That's not talking about church. That's talking about church discipline. Wrapped up somehow in this keys to the church is binding people out of the kingdom of heaven through discipline, but also wrapped up in this idea of the keys to the kingdom is letting people in. And I said this, I mean it. This is one of the hardest truths that I've had to wrestle with. And I've been wrestling with it probably eight years because I read it. And I'm I'm just going to let the church fathers say it because Augustine says it. Then I found that Jerome said it. Uh, Then I found that Justin Martyr said it. Uh, And they are all early church fathers. Uh, But then I said, wait, I'm reformed. I have to look to the reformers, right? And so I looked at Luther and Calvin, and they concurred. and, And it's a difficult statement. But Augustine says it like this. Outside of the church, there's no salvation. Luther says it like this, He who would find Christ must find the church. Calvin, beyond the church, no forgiveness of sins, no salvation can be hoped for. The church is not salvific. Going to church on Sunday does not save you. However, the church holds the keys to the kingdom because they hold the proclamation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and if we are not on task with our mission, that will not be heard. There are tribes around the world that have not heard that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and there is no hope for them. We're going to win. But there's a lot at stake if we don't do our mission. We hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's why we are called to go into our communities. That's why our family is supposed to be a beacon in our neighborhoods. And we're supposed to come at people with this truth. Not feed the poor, although you ought to. Not look and dress like me and listen to D.C. Talk although all those things are okay. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We hold those keys. That is not a burden on the outside. That is a burden on us. Because we are the vehicle by which the kingdom is advanced through the proclamation of Jesus, through feeding the poor, preaching the gospel, teaching truth, showing them how to live, I think Jesus said it's something like making disciples and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. That's how we do it, and the question is, the more personal question is, how can you be involved in the mission at Grace Community Church? I'm gonna there. There are a ton of ways, but I'm gonna give you three in specific uh, because I went to a lot of Baptist schools. All right. The first one is through home groups. Home groups are where church at Grace happen in its fullness. Coming on Sunday is awesome. Uh, Sharing with the full body here at Grace is awesome. But if you're not in a home group, and there are a lot of people in home groups who can tell you that, I can tell you that. As a college student, I was not connected to grace until my wife and I went to KJ and Liz's home fellowship group. We became so connected that after we left and went to seminary in Florida, our hearts felt called to come back to grace and be a part of this community. I am not the only one who can tell you how important a home group is. Uh, The second way we announced before, the HOPE Project Uh, is doing mentoring in schools. We are looking to uh, advance the gospel in our community in in a bunch of social ways. And you can be a part of that. You can be a mentor. You can pour yourselves into the life of your community. And then the third way is by praying for and giving to, and I will even say consider giving your life to missions. That is the front lines. We as a church are proclaiming the gospel. We're proclaiming the name of Jesus in places that we have not seen uh, before, that have not heard the gospel before. You can be a part of that by giving to it, by praying for them, by considering giving your life to missions. Uh, There's actually another way that Mike will come up in just a moment and uh, tell you about. um, But how are you called to serve the church And its mission to advance the kingdom of the great King, Jesus, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful uh, for your word. We are so grateful for your bride, the church. Calvin said it, and and I, I, I understand it, man. She may seem like a whore, giving herself to other lovers, but she's still my mother. I still need her. I still want to be a part of of the church, serving the community. Give us all that same heart, that your kingdom might be advanced in our neighborhoods and around the world, that Jesus might be proclaimed to the uttermost. As we give now to the benevolence offering, I pray that we would give with hearts of compassion and out of love for your son. In whose name we pray, amen.